extend a welcome to you this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, beginning reading at verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And as he led them out as far as Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 1. want to read uh, verses 1 through 12. Acts 1, beginning of verse 1. The, four, the former treaties have I made, O Theopolis, of all, of all that Jesus both, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own, which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld him, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, and as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. You know, we read about the miraculous uh, coming of the Messiah, Jesus and what I just read to you was the conclusion of that earthly ministry here. When he had sacrificed his, given his life as a sacrifice for the redemption of sinful man. And then him returning home again to his father. Uh, you know, it seems like uh, there's more, maybe even in the scripture, more uh, uh, 
passages, writing given to his arrival, then to his departure from this earth. And uh, I'm not sure that I can actually uh, ascertain that, but uh, we certainly know that in today's world there's not a lot of recognition given to his his ascension. Uh, yes, his his resurrection, Easter, is always marked on the calendar, but his his ascension is 40 days after that. And uh, if you uh, you know you go to your calendars, December 25th, which we commemorate as his birth, whether that was actually the actual date or not, but it's marked there. It's and of course it's been commercialized, and we all understand that and realize that. But you you check the calendars, and Ascension Day there's very few of them actually marked on their on their calendars. I I looked for my calendars at home there, and I I couldn't find it on anyone but our our church calendar. So thank you, Justin. Uh, I did find one other, uh, an old calendar from last year on our CEM Mutual Aid calendar. It was marked on that, so uh, I, I'm assuming it's marked on the new ones as well, too. But uh, So very few calendars uh, actually give any significance to it. How important is it that Jesus ascended uh, back to his Father? Well, I think it's very important. And uh, so those are my thoughts this morning. I want to look at some inspirations from his ascension back to his Father and those things that should... Uh, some truths that should inspire us. As I looked at this last meeting with Jesus, with his disciples, and I want to focus particularly on the account in Luke. I read the account in Luke, which uh, Luke actually wrote the book of Acts, I think, too. So seems like he, as one writer here, gave a lot of significance to that, more than the other writers. But uh, Mark, if you turn to Mark chapter 16, verse 19, he had just one little short verse about the ascension. Uh, does that mean it's not important? No, I don't think it, it's, it doesn't mean that it's not important, but again, it just, I think, bears out the, the, uh, the example of how different things impact us differently, and that, uh, it's a balanced, uh, it's a balancing fact, I believe, in the scripture. There was one other, as I thought about that concept, John has, makes an interesting, uh, truth, John 21, verse 25, as I thought about the different writers for take on the ascension of Jesus. This is the way John says it. He says in John 21, 25, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which they should be written, which if they should be written, everyone, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. So even if we had set about to try and write down and document everything that Jesus did, John says, well, the world couldn't contain it anyway, all the books. And so we had just this small little short glimpse of of Jesus' departure from this world. And I want to draw some inspirational truths, I uh, things that inspired me as I thought about Jesus' departing. Looking at my uh, text here in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, uh, Jesus makes an interesting statement. And he said unto them, he's meeting here with his disciples, he knows his departure is, is very intimate to leave this world. He had suffered, he had died, he had risen again. His work was finished in this world as we know it, and he was going home to his father. What a blessed, you know, what a blessed uh, experience, I believe. And uh, the thing I want to pick out here is what Jesus said: "These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled." I want to think about that thought this morning: that all things must be fulfilled. Jesus had an understanding of of time, purpose. Better than you and I will ever understand time and purpose. You know, we're talking about governments. We're talking about our involvement in governments. And sometimes things look confusing to us. Sometimes we don't understand the, the, the reasoning, the logic. If there is logic even sometimes. 
But Jesus here, I believe, understood perfectly everything from the beginning to the end. We sometimes read the scriptures and we, we don't fully understand what is being the truths that are there. And uh, I believe we need an infilling of the Holy Spirit, and that's another point, uh, to fully understand the Spirit or the Word of God and His in- intent and purpose in our lives. Perfect time is, is God's time. Uh, you know, we talk about this clock here is an atomic clock, it's, and it's probably as perfect as we can get, at least that's what we think. But even that's probably not perfect. But God's time is perfect. Can, can man, can you and I this morning understand God's time? Do we understand God's time? Sometimes we say things are untimely. Is there anything like being untimely? Is there an event that we experience in life or in this world that is untimely? Well, I know it's an expression we give sometimes. And in our perspective, you know, we say it's untimely. That's, that's, you know, God, I think, understands that, that we're looking at things from our, our finite perception and, uh, and our finite understanding of things. We say it looks untimely. Well, do we have a choice? Can we understand God's perfect time? Well, I, I believe we may not always understand all the, all the, un, we may not understand every aspect of God's perfect timing, but I, that still does not change that it is perfect. Uh, I believe we need to accept it, and uh, even if we don't fully understand it, I believe there's an aspect in us, I believe there's a rest, there's a peace that we can uh, that can be a part of us, that can transpose us into being what God wants us to be as we accept that those events that are out of our control in our life. And I believe we need to accept it. You know, perhaps I, as I thought about the experience here in, in Luke uh, and, and Jesus meeting with his, with his disciples, you know how he, they were, he was roughly pulled out of their circle and crucified and hung on the cross, put in the grave, and you know, it looked like the end. Looked like that was the end. And then miraculously, here he arose again, and then they had another wonderful 40 days with him. Fastest 40 days that they ever experienced in life. And, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, the disciples, you know, from my perspective, they probably had said, you know, well, why couldn't we have another 40 days? Why couldn't we have another 120 days? You know, what? why just 40 days? And I don't have the answer of that. I... You know, I, one of the things that did challenge me was that it seems the disciples were so accepting of it. You know, it says, you, you look at their response, they worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. And uh, I'm challenged with that acceptance of that. You know, there's a, and I think that's what I, that's what I want to emphasize this morning. We may not understand God's timing, but the, the acceptance of it is is what I believe we will experience the blessing of God in. As I thought about God's perfect timing, I had to think about a number of things. I thought about God's perfect in relation to your life, my life. Have you ever thought about the events that take place in in each of our individual lives? God's timing is perfect in relation to those that are closest to you, perhaps. Uh, perhaps God's perfect timing in relation to Christ's return. We believe that will be the perfect timing. In relation to us as a congregation uh, at Prairie here, what about God's perfect timing in relation to those who are lost? Uh, you know, the odd days of opportunity are slipping away. And I think as I thought about, as I thought about God's perfect timing in relation to any one of those things that I've listed above, my life, your life, our families, uh, Christ's return, our congregation, 
uh, to those that are lost in the world about us. I think one of the best things we can we can give to any of the above is is, is I believe spend time with God. And I believe as we spend time with God, it'll help us to to uh, accept whatever God's perfect timing is in relation to my life, your life, our families, Christ's return, uh, our congregation, or even the lost. I believe as I spend time, help me to to uh, assimilate God's perfect timing and the synchronization of my life with God's perfect timing. As I thought about doing that, you know, that of praying, giving time with God. You know, God's timing is perfect. How, how do we give God time? Well, I believe we need to sometimes, we need to pray and then wait. Wait for God to answer. We need to have quiet time. Quiet time is that of, of meditating, um, thinking on the things of God, thinking of, of the things of my life. What's important in my life? What's important in your life? What's important in, 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 in our life as a congregation? Uh, what's in, what's important as I think of Christ's return? Um, the lost. If time is in God's hands, let's let Him use our hands. Be productive in God's kingdom. Utilize the opportunities that God gives to us. If time is in God's hands, God wants to use your hands, my hands, in being productive in His kingdom. You know, none of us has any promise of tomorrow, next year. But our God has given us today. God has given us the blessing of today. And again, God's timing is perfect. And God, Jesus here understood that. He said that all things must be fulfilled. And I believe Jesus, as he was returning to his Father, there was a um, a sense of fulfillment and accomplishment that I believe you and I as his children need to emulate and and be able to to reproduce as we we're not just here checking up space in in the world we're here for a purpose and god wants to use each one of his children for that purpose as he used his in a different way than he used his only begotten son god wants to use us uh, and sometimes we get locked up in the high and lofty visual things of this you know what god and i believe god can do things further than we can ever imagine scripture's clear in that but I think sometimes it starts in the small things, the small things in life. We, uh, you know, and that goes back to our Sunday school lesson about submission too. You know, where does submission start? It doesn't start with the big things. It starts with the little things. What we talked about starts in home, starts in in the small things, and then we we find it easier to submit to to those things that are bigger. At least that's the way I've experienced it, and, and it's something we 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 need to grow in. You know, I don't know where we get there. So as we think of, of the inspiration of, of Jesus saying that all things must be fulfilled, is that my expression this morning? Is that your experience this morning that all things are fulfilled? That my purpose in life, my mission in life has been accomplished. God has used me. God has given me X number of days. Can I say that I'm, I'm here, Lord? I'm yours. Take me whenever you see fit. The second inspiration I want to, I was challenged with is in verse 45. It says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Now I was talking about understanding the scriptures. He wanted his disciples to understand the scriptures. And if you, uh, if you, if we, if you remember what I read in the, in the Acts account, you know, they, 
they came and they said, well, now are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel again? So, <laughs> you know, that was really secondary in, in, in Christ's program. He was not uh, building a, a earthly kingdom. He was building a kingdom that was going to transcend this world into eternity. And, uh, you know, here he says, and then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And, uh, you know, I believe understanding the scriptures is a, is a principle and a truth that you and I ought to be some, ought to be coveting after. It's a, it's something that we need to, uh, you know, Jesus challenged his disciples, uh, and he wanted them to understand the scriptures. Do I have a desire to understand the scriptures? Uh, well, what does it take to understand the scriptures? What does it take to understand the scriptures? number of things I thought about. First of all, I thought about faith. It takes faith to understand the scriptures. Read the God, read God's word. It takes faith to accept that. It takes faith to, to believe it. We need to, uh, it takes time. It takes effort to understand the scriptures. It takes others, I believe, to understand the scripture. Jesus here was instructing his disciples. Just as we talked in, in the Sunday school class and, and we shared together on a, horizontal level as brethren and sisters that you know we, we we sometimes others can drop in nuggets of truth that will inspire us and help us to fill in the blanks and then it takes the Holy Spirit I believe to help us to understand the scripture I believe God's spirit will uh, we are told in the scripture that he it will it will give us understanding of all things and I already mentioned the aspect of desire do I have a desire to understand the scriptures those those six things, faith, time, others, Holy Spirit, and desire, I believe, are, are fundamental in, in helping us to understand the Scripture as God has given it to us. And I think it's important that we we understand uh, the Scripture. It needs to be our, our diet. It needs to be, uh, it, it's the bread of life to us. It's, it's what we need to sustain our spiritual life. Um, understanding, and I'm, I was challenged as I thought about, you know, all the things. You know, Jesus could have talked to his disciples about a lot of things, but he was he was concerned that they understood the scriptures, and not just only understood the scriptures, but he he said he was he was concerned that they that they understood what was written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning him. Uh, you know how actually I was going to I initially started to when I was meditating on preaching, I was going to preach out of the book of Micah. And so that's the Old Testament. That was the prophets. And then as I, I, I got to studying and I thought, you know, this is Ascension Day is when? Anybody tell me? Thursday. Thursday. Uh, so this week is Ascension Day. And uh, so as I thought about that, I thought, well, I'm going to tie that together. And I'll probably drop back to those verses in Micah that I was originally thinking about. But uh, understanding the scriptures, you know, it's entirety. It's, it's, it's what we need. And it, it helps us to understand who we are, where we're going, and why we're here. God's scripture is is so imperative, and we need to uh, we need to make it a part of our lives. The third thing that I uh, was challenged with, uh, with as I thought thought about what Jesus' little dialogue here is before his departure with his disciples. You know, sometimes them departures are. You know, we remember the things that are shared. We remember the people's, you know, we shed some tears. It doesn't really say here that they shed tears, but uh, I don't know if anyone were that emotional or not. Uh, but uh, Jesus had some very pointed truths here with them. The third thing is in verse 46 and 47. Uh, 
he says, thus, in verse 46 and 47, we find the, the plan of redemption being described by, by Jesus. He said, thus it is written, Behoove Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And uh, so the plan of redemption was, was completed, and that was his work. That was his mission in life, and he accomplished that. That was his reason for coming. As I thought about that plan of redemption, I thought about it, you know, all of the Old Testament saints who who were in the past looking forward to that event of Jesus that Jesus described there in verses 46 and 47. How many of them were there? How many how many Old Testament saints were there that were counting on that event happening and then in faith as as Jesus fleshed it out and made gave his life a sacrifice for their sins? All of the lambs that were slain they were looking forward in faith to that. How many of them were there? People like you and I who had frustrations and disappointments in life, joys and sorrows. They were looking forward to that sacrifice. And then I thought about all of the, all of us on this side. How many have walked before me and have looked back to that event on Calvary that Jesus described? And perhaps some of those yet in the future that perhaps as the Lord tarries, how many of them are there? Again, Similar experiences, but they all needed this event. They all needed a Savior. And Christ was willing to do that. It was because of the sin nature that we inherited. He was a sacrifice for our sins. And I'd like to, uh, this, I'd like to uh, read the verses out of Micah where I was originally going to uh, share from. Micah chapter uh, 7. Minor prophet, Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again, he will have compassion upon us, he will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Micah here is looking, I think, ahead to what was going to, what God had promised. Who is a God like unto our God that pardoneth iniquity, passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? We are God's heritage this morning. It talks about him. Micah mentions him as a God that has compassion. A God that is a lover of mercy. Performing truth. I was challenged as I thought of the prophet Micah in those uh, words. His mission accomplished. And I thought of the words in the Gospel of John, John 16. John 16, verses 22. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. I'd like to just emphasize that. Emphasize that. No man can take this joy from us this morning. 
as we are followers of Jesus Christ, as we lay hold on that uh, redemption that he secured and procured for us, no joy, your joy, no man taketh from you. You yourself this morning are the, are the, are the determining factor whether you have the joy of Christ in your heart or life this morning. Nobody else. You can never blame anyone else. Absolutely. That's scripture. Your joy, no man taketh from you. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. What a promise. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world again. I leave the world, and go to the Father. And I'll stop reading there. Jesus there clearly giving uh, uh, clarification of what was going to happen. He said, I go again to my Father. Take heart this morning that Jesus' homecoming to his Father prepares the way for our homecoming. You know, as I thought about that, I thought about Jesus when he talked to Mary after his resurrection. In verse John 20, verse 17, Jesus told Mary, he said, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. And I like the personalization of that. He said, I'm going home to, to my father. But he says, he's your father too. Going home to your God, my God, but your God too. So I think about the plan of redemption. You know, that plan of redemption involves a relationship. God is our Savior. Me as a recipient of that uh, salvation. And I believe as we think about what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about uh, that relationship as a father, heavenly father, God, me, and you this morning as his children. And I believe we need to work on that relationship and my need of his power in my life. The fourth inspiration as I looked at this example of Jesus meeting with his disciples before his ascension is in verse 48. And ye are witnesses of these things. Uh, You know, this commission he has entrusted to us to preach and to witness and we could turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18. There we have what we know as the Great Commission. And some people call it the Great Omission. It's what we forget. We become busy in life. And we forget really what our, what our responsibility is in this world, that we are to preach and teach and proclaim and baptize in the name and the power of the Holy Spirit and God. Matthew and John both mentioned the power. It's not in our own strength that we will uh, go forth in this world. It's only as we have that connection with God. And we also have the in the Matthew account and John account, we have the, uh, the promise of his presence with us as we go about this commission. And uh, he also mentions the idea of teaching, not here in the Luke account. But uh, he talks about us as being witnesses, and that summarizes up the idea of teaching. We are to be witnesses of what? But you know, witness is somebody that is somebody that has experienced it. If we want to teach, we need to have experienced it ourselves first. 
And uh, I think that's an important key as we think of our responsibility, the commission that God has entrusted to us. And that's why he that's why he left it to us, our responsibility. He was leaving, and he was entrusting us with that work. And uh, you think about the responsibility of that. You know, during Jesus' earthly ministry, his work was geographically somewhat limited to what we know as the Holy Lands, and uh, very limited. But now he, he came to a point where he wanted that word to be spread. He wanted that truth. He wanted that... Uh, Good news, the gospel, to be spread throughout all of the world. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God, John, uh, God, Christ wanted that good news to be spread, the gospel to be spread. John, I'll just turn quickly here. I'm at John yet. Uh, John 14, uh, verses uh, 13 and 14. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. As I thought about, you know, the connection with the Father and our responsibility to teaching and sharing the good news, the gospel, you know, we need to, I believe, pray to the Father. We need to ask Him to direct us. We need to ask him to show us the way that we ought to uh, witness, where we ought to witness, how we ought to witness uh, the words that John 14 would bring out. You know, as I thought about, you know, witnessing, you know, we can, uh, I was challenged as I thought of, uh, you know, we can, uh, you know, we, he, he told them to begin Jerusalem first. And I, I believe that's where we need to begin. We need to begin those that are closest to us, those that are around us. And then as God would take that and bless it and extend it further, and sometimes he does call people to the foreign mission field, and that's certainly um, a very viable aspect of, of the good com- of the Great Commission as we know it. But God has clearly entrusted to us that responsibility to be witnesses for him and of the gospel, the good news. Are we living that out? Are we fleshing that out? The fifth inspiration that I find is in verse 49. Uh, he promises us, and behold, I send the promise of my Father. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. Upon you, but tarry ye here in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And uh, I had to think in my own mind what that was like waiting for that experience for the disciples. And uh, we know by reading the scriptures there was no question there was no, uh, uh, there was of course some misunderstood what was taking place and accused them of being drunk with wine. But, uh, Peter and Paul, Peter and John rather, of course, not Paul yet, but had clearly gave, uh, uh, accreditation to where this power was coming from. It was, it was from God. One of the things I had to ask as I thought about this experience here, you know, couldn't the Spirit have come with Jesus staying here with the early church? Uh, you know, I think it could have, but that wasn't God's plan. And uh, as I, I thought about it from a human perspective, you know, uh, we tend, I tend to lean on crutches. Uh, you know, I, I, and I think as Jesus' bodily presence would have been there, I think they would have probably not been as effective 
if as they were with the Spirit of God living within their lives. And I think that's true for us today. Uh, you know, they would have clung to him perhaps. And how far out would have that ministry, how far out would have that message gotten if Jesus would have stayed here physically? I think the Spirit could have continued. We believe in the triune God. They are one and the same. But I, I again, it was not God's plan, and God's plan is perfect. God's plan, God knows how we function. God knows probably what human nature's inclination would have been to, to just simply keep that circle close and tied to his physical presence. So I, I thought about the aspect of, of, of Jesus in his, in his physical body. You know, isn't our human nature the limiting factor to God actually working in our lives too? Human nature is, I believe, the limiting factor of, of the Holy Spirit in filling in, and, and also in controlling our lives. Uh, let's not look for alternatives. <laughs> let's just accept the infilling of God's Spirit and allow that to be the focal point of who we are. Uh, Spirit-filled Christians that are productive for in God's kingdom. Get rid of the human nature. Well, we can't, can we? <laughs> be nice to. And sometime that will happen. But then we're going to be out of this world. God wants us to work. Talk about being a witness. God wants us to work in this world in our, in our physical form, but controlled by His Spirit. Is that possible? I think it is possible. It is possible. We need to be filled with the Spirit. It's a, it's a process. It's something that we need the power of God. Uh, we need to be filled with the Spirit to be effective in God's kingdom. The sixth point is uh, in verse 51. And he came, and it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them, and he was carried up into heaven. His actual ascension. In the account there in Acts, we read in verse 11, it says, as he has ascended, he's told, as they gazed there, and I, I don't know what thoughts were going through their mind, but, you know, it had to be impressive. It just had to be impressive. You know, just defying the laws of gravity, and all of a sudden, there he goes. Now, it says here about a clod, um, maybe that's in the Acts account where it says, uh, uh, clod hid them from their views, but, uh, so evidently there was clods in the sky that day. We know that. But, uh, you know, it's it's impressive to think of him leaving just like that, defying all of the forces that you and I are restricted by. I mean, he's an awesome Lord. Um, but as we think of him departing, I, his mission had been accomplished. His purpose here was done. You and I are now commissioned to be witnesses. And as I, I thought about him going, we know that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Doing, continuing to work. He began a work. One of the other scriptures talk, I think back in, uh, in, in one of the other accounts, it talks about the work that he began. Now he's bringing that work to completion and sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for those who accept that plan of salvation. And as we come to the throne of grace, as he instructed us to come and pray boldly, then he can intercede in our behalf to the Father. This is one of the, our children that you and I have redeemed, and they have accepted that redemption. 
And we have the promise as he ascended, as he left, that he will again, as we read there in Acts, he shall come in like manner. And uh, what a glorious time that will be. But while he's there, he's in John 14, it says he's preparing mansions. And he again will, he again tells us there in the John 14 account that he will come again. So, you know, I, as I thought about that, did, you know, if the disciples would have known it was going to be 2,000 some years uh, till his return, what would have their thoughts been? Uh, you know, we, they're, they're under their, and our frame, time of frame reference is pretty short too. Uh, you know, but how soon will the Lord return? I don't know. Uh, again, we leave that in God's perfect timing. Another thing that challenged me as I, I thought about his ascension into heaven here, it says they in verse 53, and they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. When I read that, that phrase, blessing God, there was one man came to my mind, and I, I don't know if any of you know Marvin King. He's since deceased from Cockerton, Pennsylvania. But in his preaching, he was an evangelist, and in his preaching, he would say, bless God. And he'd, he'd use that repetition. That's what I remember. Anybody remember him saying that? And I often used to wonder about the phrase, was that right to, to say bless God? Uh, you know, we think of God blessing us. But here it is. They were, they were blessing God. <laughs> so he was cracked. Uh, he's long since been gone, but... Uh, you know, it's, as I thought about that dimension of blessing God, I believe we, as we reach out and, and accept God's plan of salvation, as we allow His Spirit to dwell within our lives, I believe we are a blessing to God as well as to others. And as God blesses us, it's a two-way street. And again, challenged with their, you know, rather than being distraught and in in sorrow, it says they worshiped, they were rejoicing. And I think they realized that, okay, we've, we've crossed the buyer. We're at a, we're at a different point in time. Things are going to be different. And, uh, they went forth and, uh, God used them mightily in building the church, even as God desires to use you and I this morning in building his kingdom. While we wait for his return, Let's bless God by living lives of obedience and service to Him for His glory. Amen.